Well, let's begin by reading our text for this morning. We are in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at really just verse 9 today, but I want to, I want to start by reading some of the context, and we'll begin even by just looking at verse 1. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verses 2 to 4, he talks then about giving in that way. And then in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray. Or maybe I should even say better, this is, this is how our Lord taught us to pray. And so here we find the greatest teaching on the grandest subject of by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This teaching on prayer also happens to be at the very center of this sermon by our Lord. And in these few verses, our, our Lord covers everything we need to know about prayer. In these verses, we have in in seed form the entire scope of every prayer. There's nothing excluded. Everything is here in seed form. We have the ultimate purpose of prayer. That God's name would be hallowed. We have the primary means through which God's name will be hallowed. That His kingdom would come and and that that His will would be done on earth. That's the the means through which God is going to glorify Himself. Those first three petitions focus on God. It's about His glory, His kingdom, His will. And then the next three petitions focus on us and our physical and spiritual needs. We have our present physical needs. We need our daily bread. And we have our spiritual needs. We need our sins forgiven. We could think about that as our past needs. We have need of forgiveness for what we have done in the past. And so there's this request for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we also have our future spiritual needs. Lead us not into temptation as we kind of go along into the future. Deliver us from evil. And so everything is covered in a remarkable way in just five short verses. We also see in those verses who we are to pray to. We're to pray to our Father. We have a relationship and a a closeness in that word Father. But He's also our Father in heaven. He's exalted above all. He is beyond us and He is above us. And so this is a simple prayer, but at the same time, it's infinitely deep and we could never exhaust its riches. And today we're just going to look at verse 9 and, and, and in the surrounding context. Verse 9 again, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the reason I, that I just want to look at this verse is because what we see here, what we see in verse 9 is so foundational, not, not only for our prayers, but also for our entire Christian lives. 
What Jesus teaches us to pray in this short verse is infinitely profound. And if we can learn to truly pray this, it will transform not only our lives, but also the world. Now that's quite a claim to say that this prayer will transform not only our lives, but also the world. But I hope that that before we're done today, that you will see that, that that is indeed the case. Now what we're going to do this morning, I, I broke the text up a little bit differently. I made the outline a little bit differently for you today. And what I did was I, I, I made a summary sentence that's intended to kind of capture everything and, and summarize the, the entire verse. And then what I want to do as we kind of go through is I want to break that sentence down into its parts and, and explain it that way. And I put that sentence, if you got one of those little outline sheets, I put that sentence at the very top for you because I thought it might be a little bit long for you to note it or to write it down. But here is the summary of of what we're going to look at today. Quote, I guess, quote, in contrast to the hypocrites and the Gentiles who do not know God, we are to pray to our Father in heaven requesting above all that he might be glorified on earth as he is in heaven. So that's our summary statement that we're going to kind of unpack today. In contrast to the hypocrites and the Gentiles who do not know God, we are to pray to our Father in heaven, requesting above all that he might be glorified on earth as he is in heaven. This is the way that the Lord has called us to pray. And we're going to divide this sentence then into four parts, and it should allow me to cover everything that, that I want to say about this verse in its context. And so are you guys ready to go here this morning? Okay, let's, let's do it. Let me give that summary statement again. In contrast to the hypocrites and the Gentiles who do not know God, We're to pray to our Father in heaven, requesting above all that he might be glorified on earth as he is in heaven. And the first thing we see in our text and our summary statement is this contrast. And so I I call this number one, the contrast with unbelievers, the contrast with unbelievers. Now, as you look at verse nine, the, the, The contrast might not be immediately apparent, but it's there in the text, and you can especially see it when you start from verse 5 again. And so look again at verse 5. Jesus says there, But when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who, uh, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now we covered those verses last week and what we saw there was that in our righteousness, in the, in the righteousness that we practice, we are not to pray like the hypocrites to get glory from men. Nor are we to pray like the Gentiles who think that, that God doesn't hear or God doesn't know what we need. Now in those verses, Jesus didn't say much about how we should pray. And now Jesus kind of contrast from that, moves from that, transitions from that, and and fills in the more positive side. This is how we should pray. But the, the contrast remains. We're not to pray as the hypocrites. We're not to pray like mere actors putting on a show for men. Nor are we to pray to to as though we need to somehow persuade God to act or that we need to to do something very special to get his attention. We are not to pray, or sorry, we are to pray then like this. We're to pray in an entirely different way. And we could translate that that first clause in verse 9, we could translate it, therefore, pray like this. Or even, therefore, you pray like this. 
And actually in the, in the Greek text, there's a slight emphasis on the word you. In English, we don't, we don't say, we don't even need to say you in that sentence. We just, we just say the command. We just say pray. But when we say pray, when we give a command like that, it's implied you pray, right? You are the one who is to pray. And so we don't, we don't use the word you in English and it's very similar in the Greek. In, in Greek, you don't need to add the word you. So when the, the word you is added, it, it gives some emphasis and there's this little bit of extra emphasis. It, don't pray like them. Instead, therefore, you pray this way. Now, how did they pray? How did the hypocrites and the Gentiles pray? Well, they, they were hypocrites and they were Gentiles. And they prayed in a way that showed that they, they didn't really know God. They didn't understand who He was. Their, their prayers weren't sincere. There, there was a show going on. They were, they were more aware of men than they were of God. They didn't acknowledge God's presence or His knowledge. Remember, God is in secret. He is everywhere. And God knows what we need. He's an all-knowing God. And so one way to summarize what Jesus is saying about how not to pray might be to say, do not pray like a practical atheist. Do not pray like a practical atheist. What uh, An atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God. A practical atheist is someone who lives as if there were no God or who lives as if they don't believe in God. And sometimes we can pray as though we were praying to some other God than the God of the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we can pray and we sometimes we do pray with false views of God or we pray as though we had false views of God. We can pray without a true recognition of who God is. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. For example, like we saw last week, we can pray thinking that God isn't present. Or we can pray without really recognizing that he is here with us right now as we pray. We can pray thinking that God needs to be informed about all of our troubles and all of our trials and all of the things going on in our lives. We can pray thinking that God doesn't really care about our needs and our situations and our trials. Or we can pray thinking that He won't want to be bothered by the the information that we're bringing to Him or by our situation. Or we can pray thinking that God is unable to change our situation or unable to do anything about the, 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 the situation and the people that we're dealing with. And so we can pray without a a true recognition of God. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. There's so many ways that we can pray without acknowledging God for who He truly is. And when we pray like that, we're praying like a practical atheist or we're praying like an unbeliever. And you, you brothers and sisters, you are not to pray that way. You disciples of Christ are not to pray that way. Instead, you're to pray and and I am to pray with a true knowledge of God. And so the truth of God needs to inform our prayers. The truth of God needs to motivate our prayers. The truth of God needs to direct our prayers and the truth of God needs to fill our prayers. And what we'll see is that our, our primary prayer is that the truth about God will be made known on the earth. We're to pray with the knowledge of God that God might be made known in all of His greatness and in all of His glory. And that prayer is to be the sincere desire of our hearts. That's the, that's the contrast. Do not pray like unbelievers or, or do not pray like those who do not know God. Now second, Jesus wants us to pray with what I called here the knowledge of God. Jesus wants us to pray with the knowledge of God. Again, our sentence in the, in the contrast, in, in contrast to the hypocrites and the Gentiles who do not know God, we are to pray to our Father in heaven. Now there's three things in the, in the text that make me say that we're to pray with the knowledge of God. The first one is that, that we are, 
not to pray like those we just looked at in verses 5 to 8. They prayed without knowledge of God. They prayed as practical atheists. Secondly, in verse 9, it says that we are to pray our Father in heaven. We're to pray to our Father in heaven. And then third, our prayer is first and foremost, hallowed be your name. Now, when we say in prayer, hallowed be your name, there's this understanding of what God's name is and that, that it ought to be hallowed and that it ought to be glorified, that it ought to be made known. And so we're to pray with this knowledge of God. Right, right now, under the second point, we're just going to focus on our Father in heaven. But this is the knowledge of God that we're to come with. We're to, we're to come with knowledge of who God is, but we're to come to Him specifically, Jesus says, and say, our Father in heaven. So let's start with our Father. And the first thing that we need to remember as we come to this, our Father, is that this is to be a sincere prayer. And what I mean then is, we don't merely say, our Father, as though they were empty words, just something to say when we come to God in prayer. In fact, notice that the the text says, pray like this, or the, the New American Standard says, pray then in this way, pray thus. Is, is kind of a literal translation. Pray thus. It's not, it's not pray these words. Je- Jesus doesn't say here, repeat after me, our Father in heaven. He's teaching us how to pray and, and, and not just words to recite mindlessly when we pray, when we pray. And so the, the, the first thing we're to do is to sincerely come to God as our Father. Now, we've already seen that, that God is our Father earlier in the sermon. And, and I, in fact, if I remember right, we did a whole message on Matthew 5, 9, where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I think we did a whole message on adoption when we looked at that verse. To be a son of God and, and to be able to come to God as Father... And to do that sincerely means that you must be born again. It means that you must have the Holy Spirit who is called the Spirit of Adoption. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption and, and He, when He comes into us, when we have received Him, it's by Him, by the Holy Spirit that we can cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is the Aramaic way to say Father and it's, it's almost, but not quite like, like our Daddy. And so to call God Father without the spirit of adoption, to call God Father without the Holy Spirit, that's just empty words. We need to actually be born again and have received the Spirit. Ephesians 1.5 says that God adopted us to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And this adoption must happen, and it, and it only happens if we've come to God through Jesus Christ. And so if we've come to God through Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into God's family, and now as His children, we can call Him Father. And so to pray this prayer, you must first come to God through the Son, and having come to God through Jesus Christ, you you will have received the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit then gives us confidence that we are the children of God And that enables us to say, our Father. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if you do not have the Holy Spirit and you, you have not come to the Father through Christ, you cannot pray this prayer. In that case, God is not your father. And in that case, you are not his son. Scripture instead calls you, in the words of Ephesians 2 and verse 3, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
Or Ephesians 5 and verse 6 says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. If you haven't come to God through Jesus Christ, you're a, a child of wrath. You're a son of disobedience. Second Peter 2.14 calls these people accursed children. Children destined for hell. Destined for the curse of hell. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself in John 8.44 says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. And so we ask then, what is the answer to this situation, to these sons of disobedience, children of wrath? And the answer is, in that same context, John chapter 8, John 8.36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And a little bit later on in that same context, John 8.42, Jesus says, If God were your Father, in other words, if you were the children of God, listen to this, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. And so the Son sets us free from God's wrath and from our sin, and He sets us free in such a way that we recognize God as our Father. And now we, we love this great God, this Father of ours, and we love His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you then, as we think about this prayer, can you truly say, the first words of this prayer. Can you pray sincerely this prayer and and come to God and say, Our Father. Is God your Father? Have you come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ? Have you been adopted into His family? Have you been set free from sin to love this God? Have you been adopted into His family so that you're no longer a child of wrath and a son of disobedience? These are eternally important questions. And so don't risk your soul by putting off these kind of important questions. If you cannot answer yes, then I urge you today to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. He will welcome you if you turn from your sin and you come to Him. But if you can truly and sincerely say that God is your Father, then you are blessed indeed. And now we need to ask then as we think about this, what does it mean then to to come to God as our Father? What does it mean to, to come to God in prayer as Father? And what it means is that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It means that we are people that know this God. It means that He knows us and He knows us as His children. It means that we bear the family name and that God cares for us even as He cares for His own name, even as He cares for His children. And the implications of, of this fatherhood of God for prayer, they're, they're massive. And, and just to quickly show you, look at Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew 7 and verse 9. Jesus says to us there, He says, Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If you, the the disciples that Jesus has been preaching to in this sermon, if you, uh, like we've seen, a, a righteous Christian disciple who are actually evil in comparison to the holy God, if you give good gifts to your children, then how much more will this God give good gifts to you? He is your Father. And that's what the idea that as we, as we come to God as our Father, this, this has these massive implications for our prayer that God will answer our prayers and give us good things because we are His children. And that attitude is to permeate our prayers. We're to expect God to treat us as our Father because He is our Father and we come to Him as Father. But then as if to to balance this out, Jesus then says, 
He is our Father in heaven. He's our Father, but He's also in heaven. And in heaven, He is on His throne. He is above us. In heaven, He is beyond us. The fact that He's in heaven reminds us of His majesty and His greatness. And that's why I wouldn't say Daddy in prayer, even though Abba is kind of similar to that. We remember as we pray to Him that we have this relationship to Him as Father, but at the same time, He is majestic and infinitely great. And just to, I, I want to actually show you some of these verses with your own eyes. So turn to the book of Psalms. <clears throat> And we'll start at Psalm 103 and verse 19. And we think about what does it mean that, that He is our Father in heaven? Well, Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven. There's this kingly scene of, of the Lord and His throne is established in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. And so from this throne in heaven, He rules over all. Turn just a, a few pages over to Psalm 115 and verse 3. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He's on His throne in heaven and He does all that He pleases as the King of this universe. Look at Psalm 135 and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. Psalm 135, 5 and 6. For I know that the Lord is great and that our God is above all gods, or that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Our God is great. He is Lord above all. He does whatever He pleases from His throne in heaven, and He does it in heaven. He does whatever He pleases on earth. He does whatever He pleases in the sea and in all Deeps, there's nowhere where God doesn't do exactly what He pleases. He is the sovereign Lord of this universe and He rules from His throne in heaven. Now one more place, a, a very, you know, you might almost expect me to turn here, but turn to Daniel chapter 4. Very, very popular, very common verse, but so important in this, the sovereignty of God. Daniel 4, look at verse 34, we'll start there. This is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Daniel 4.34 says, At the end of days, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me for the and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all His works are right and His ways are just and those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. The Most High, the Lord, is the King of heaven. And He sits on a heavenly throne and He rules over all the kingdoms and all the peoples of the earth. And when we pray, 
we acknowledge this God as our Father. And we acknowledge with that that He is in heaven, that He is the Most High, that He is the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth. And so that was number two. We're to pray with the knowledge of God. That He is our Father in heaven. And now I want you to notice number three, the priority of the request. And we can turn back to Matthew here. I guess next we're gonna actually gonna go to, to James chapter four, but just don't go there yet. This, the priority of the request. Again, I'll read to you my summary statement of verse nine. In contrast to the hypocrites and the Gentiles who do not know God, we are to pray to our Father in heaven, requesting above all that He might be glorified on earth as He is in heaven. And so notice now the priority of the request. The the first thing that we ask when we come to God in prayer, the first request that we make is that His name would be hallowed. And this is significant. You see, God's glory is our ultimate aim and our first priority. When we pray before before anything else, before everything else, this is to be in our hearts the glory of God. You see, the prayer that God answers and that God regards and that God hears must have this as its goal or else we pray wrongly. And just to kind of show you this then, I want to take you to a few passages and I want you to go first of all to James chapter 4. Go to James chapter 4. kind of nice to have that baby cry room because then you can't hear the babies crying so much, hey? <laughs> James chapter 4, okay, we're talking about prayer, the priority of the request. I want to show you that, that we must have God's glory as our aim or else we pray wrongly. Look at James 4 and we can start in verse 2. It says, you desire and do not have so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealously over, or he, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? The people that, that James is writing to here, they're fighting and, and quarreling and coveting. And he tells them that they, they don't have because they don't ask. In other words, they don't have because they don't pray. And then he goes on and says, when you do pray, you do not receive because God is not answering their prayers. Now, why is God not answering their prayers? Well, it's because they are asking wrongly. They're asking to spend it on their own pleasures. They're asking for their own passion. Their their priority is their own desires, not God's glory. And so James tells them they've made friends with the world and they're acting now like enemies of God. And that's why James calls them adulterous people in verse 4. And in verse 5, and I I should have given you another translation of that, but in verse 5, he reminds them that, that God is a jealous God. And God is jealous for His own glory. God puts His own glory first. And because of that, he will not answer prayer that amounts to spiritual adultery. You see, Jesus also taught us that if we ask in his name, he would answer 
our prayers. And, and so I want you to now turn with me to, to John chapter 14. We're not to pray like the people that, uh, that James was talking about. We're to pray like Jesus teaches us in our passage. But also I want you to look at John 14 and a, a couple of verses in the book of John we'll, we'll look at here. John 14 and verse 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so Jesus tells us that we're to ask in his name and that if we ask in his name, he will do it. And the reason that he will do it is that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Again, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so we need to ask, what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? It doesn't mean merely to say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. What it means is it, it means that, that we are to ask for His sake. It means that we're to ask according to His purposes and according to His goals. And ultimately, it means for us to ask whatever we ask in prayer, we ask it for God's glory. We ask it that the Father may be glorified in and through His Son. And if we ask anything in Jesus' name, He promises that He will do it. Now, last week we looked at uh, John chapter 15 and verse 7, and we kind of looked at the greater context there. But let me start reading at verse 7, John 15. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so again, this idea that is if the the word of God is abiding in us and if Christ himself is abiding in us and and his purposes and goals and desires are influencing our purposes and goals and desires. We can ask whatever we want, but what we ask in that case is that that God would be glorified through us, that we're asking for things that we know will glorify and honor God. And then in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so that's the idea of praying in Jesus' name is that God would be glorified. Or how about go to 1 John and there's two great passages in 1 John. The first one is in 1 John 3 and verse 21 and 22. 1 John 3, 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And so John has confidence that, that God will answer his prayers, that God will answer our prayers, whatever we ask. And John is so confident of this because he is aligned with God's will. He says that he obeys God's commands and does what pleases Him. You know, another way to, to say that it would be that, that John lives to glorify God. And so because John lives to glorify God, he expects that his prayers will be answered and he has this great confidence that whatever we ask, we will receive. And John expects the same because he doesn't just say that whatever he asks, but he says whatever, whatever we ask. And so John expects this, this central goal of all Christians, that we would live in such a way that we keep the commandments of God, that we do what pleases God, and that we make it our aim to please Him, whatever we do. And the same thing in John chapter 5 and verse 14. There John says, this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of Him. Now, throughout Scripture, we have these amazing promises for answered prayer. But the condition is always similar, that we need to ask according to God's will. We need to ask in Jesus' name. 
Our goal must be to please God in whatever we ask for, and it must be for Jesus' sake or for God's glory. And that's to be our priority in prayer. Our desire first is that God would be glorified. And before anything else, that should be our sincere desire in whatever we ask. If something won't glorify God, then we should never ask for it. And so I hope that you're kind of seeing this. I hope that you're, you're catching this as we look at this passage. And we can go back to Matthew now. But I hope you're seeing this idea that, that this is to be first and foremost. Before we ask for God's kingdom to come, or before we ask for His will to be done, or before we ask for anything for our physical or our spiritual needs, our central controlling principle in prayer, the, the one request that, that ends up supporting every other request should be this, that God's name would be hallowed. That must be our ultimate desire if we would pray according to the way that Jesus wants us to pray. That, that God's name would be hallowed. That must be our sincere desire. That must be our ultimate desire, our first goal, our primary aim, both in our lives and in our prayers. And all of that then leads to an important question. What does it mean for God's name to be hallowed? And what even is God's name? And so we go to number four then in our outline. It's the request for glory. Number four, the request for glory. And again, the statement in contrast to the hypocrites and the Gentiles who do not know God, we are to pray to our Father in heaven, requesting above all that He might be glorified on earth as He is in heaven. And again, verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now my, my summary sentence there and my outline point kind of already gave the answer to that question away. For God's name to be hallowed means for Him to be glorified. Means for Him to be exalted. Means for Him and His name and His character to be made known. We don't really use that word hallowed in English very much. The, the Greek word that's, that translated hallowed there means to sanctify, means to revere, means to make something holy or to keep something holy. To sanctify, and, and, and it really is that same root word as to sanctify, it means to, to set something apart. And the idea of something being sanctified means that it's, it's, it's set apart, it's devoted to God for a special use. And in this case, it's God's name that is to be set apart. Now, what is God's name? Well, in, in Scripture, God has many names by which He has revealed Himself. He has revealed Himself as Yahweh, the the I am. He is the self-existent one known as Yahweh. He is the Lord. He is God. He is Yahweh Sabaoth. That is Yahweh of hosts, Lord of hosts, head of the heavenly hosts. He is head of the armies of heaven. He is uh, Yahweh Yaira, the, the Lord who provides. He is Yahweh Roph, the, the Lord your healer. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Roy, the, the Lord is my shepherd, and Yahweh Tzedek, Tzekenu, Tzekenu, Yahweh the, the Lord is our righteousness. And each of these names of God reveals something about who He is. It reveals what He is like. In the New Testament, He is mostly Father. But we recognize that this God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each of those is a name of God. Now God is the one who names Himself in Scripture because only God can reveal Himself. Only God can describe Himself. And so God describes Himself to us in Scripture so that He could be known. 
And his name, the, the names by which he describes himself is identical with his perfection. His name stands for himself, for who he is. And just to kind of see some of his name, I want you to kind of turn to a few more passages with me. I want you to go all the way back to Exodus. And we'll start at Exodus chapter 9. Exodus 9, 16. Important passage quoted in, in Romans 9 as well. God is speaking to Pharaoh in Romans 9 and verse 16. And he says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And so we see there that God's power is connected with his name. As God reveals his power to Pharaoh and through Pharaoh and his stubbornness and his hardness of heart, God's power is is just displayed in these majestic signs that he does and and through that his name is proclaimed in all the earth and people recognize and come to see his power go to exodus uh, 33 as we think about god's name one of my favorite passages of of all time exodus 33:18 moses in a difficult situation that I, I won't get into just, just says to the Lord show me your glory in verse 18 please show me your glory and he said I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will and will proclaim before you my name and then God gives us his name the Lord And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by uh, by me where where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. And so God's glory in this passage, show me your glory, is connected with the the proclamation of His name. And what is His name? It's Yahweh, the self-existent one, but it's also we see His grace and His mercy. And uh, as Moses even later on in Exodus 34 has this experience that God tells him he will have in verse 30, in chapter 33, We see that the Lord passes by and declares His glory, declares His name to Moses. And so God's glory is equivalent to His name, which is synonymous with His attributes. And His attributes are who He is in and of Himself. And so to proclaim His name is to declare His attributes and His glory. Now turn with me then to Psalm uh, chapter 18, and we're going to just look at this in, in a few Psalms. And one of the things as you, as you kind of study the Psalms, what you need to know is that there's these parallel statements that are made in Hebrew poetry that, that further describe one another. And so we'll have in, in kind of line A of the poetry, we'll have a, a statement that's, that's kind of further described and sometimes even, even, even expanded on in line B. And so look at, look at Psalm 1849 with that in mind. Psalm 1849. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. And so notice that I will praise you, O Lord, and I will sing to your name. And so God's name is another way to just to say, to him, I will, I will sing to your name. I will sing to you, O Yahweh. Look at Psalm 20 and verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so we're going to trust in the name of the Lord. If we just kind of 
harmonize that with Psalm 9 and verse 10. It says, those who know your name put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And so to know the name of the Lord is to know the Lord is to put your trust in him. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, and I, I do, if you could turn to that as well, I want you to see this with your, with your own eyes. Isaiah 42 and verse 8. The Lord says, and there's, there's at least three things here. I am the Lord. That is my name. My name is Yahweh, in other words, my name is Yahweh, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And so what we see here is that the, the name Yahweh and the name of God and glory and His praise, those are synonymous things that He holds dear, that He is jealous for. Or just turn over to Isaiah 48. And we'll look at verses 9 to 11. And he says there, for my name's sake, for my name's sake, there's his name, for my name's sake I defer my anger, for the sake of my praise I restrain it for you. In other words, God's namesake is the same as the sake of his praise. And that's the reason in this context that he's deferring his anger, that I, that I may not cut you off, he says. And then in verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And so what we see then is that God's name and His praise and His glory and His power and His sake, they're all tied together with who He is in himself. And so when we go back to Ma- Matthew and we see that, we see that our, our prayer is to be made, or our, our prayer is to be that God's name would be made holy, what we realize immediately is that, that God can't mean that, that, that in our prayers we're not asking that God would be made more holy than he is, or that God would become more holy than he is. You see, God can't become anything because He is perfect from all eternity. And so what we're to pray then is for God's name to be recognized as holy. That His holiness might be made known. We're to pray that He would be magnified. That His praise would be great. That people would see His goodness and His greatness and and, and give Him the honor that He deserves. And notice as we look at Matthew 6 that at the end of verse 10, it says there, on earth as it is in heaven. And that phrase there, on earth as it is in heaven, most likely goes with all three petitions that go before it. God's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven, and that His kingdom would come on the earth, and that His will would be done on the earth in the same way that it is in heaven. Now when you think about that, we know that God's name is hallowed in heaven. In heaven, in Isaiah 6, the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And our prayer is that He would be hallowed like that on earth as well. Our prayer is that in everything that happens on earth, God would be glorified. Whether that's in our lives or in the lives of other people, in, in everything, our desire is for God's greatness to be on display and for it to be acknowledged. Now, one of the primary places that we would expect this to happen, if you think about it, where is God's name going to be hallowed in this way? Well, it would have to start through genuine Christians, through the lives of genuine Christians and through the church. And if you think about it, creation always fulfills God's will. Creation always declares the glory of God. God is always glorifying Himself through His providence and through His work of sustaining the world. But it's men, and it's, it's men's lives 
where we see God's name being profaned. Men are the ones who are disobedient. And so we are praying for haters of God to become worshipers of God. We are praying for disobedient people to become obedient people. We are praying for complainers to become content. We're praying for Christians to live lives that show the glory of God and their salvation. We're praying for the church to glorify God. Remember Isaiah 3.10, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the church. And then we're praying for the salvation of those who don't know God, that they might come to know God so that they can worship and praise Him and give Him the glory that He deserves. That's the, the kind of practical outworking of such a prayer that God's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me try to press this home a little more into our lives. You see, our prayers, as we've seen, are to be sincere. Right? We're not just to pray meaningless repetition. And what that means here is that we're not just meant to say, hallowed be your name. The request for God's glory is to be a sincere desire of our hearts. You see, we should want this, and we should, we should want this above all. This is what Jesus is teaching here. We should want above all that God would be glorified on the earth. Now that is a challenging teaching, but that's the meaning of the text in the context. That's the meaning of this text. In contrast to the hypocrites and the Gentiles who do not know God, we are to pray to our Father in heaven requesting above all that He might be glorified on earth as He is in heaven, and that's to be the sincere desire of our hearts. That's the teaching. And we need to just kind of tie it back to a few verses. If you're in Matthew 6, I just want to kind of connect this to a few verses as we work our way backwards now. We need to tie this back to chapter 6 and verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You see, this desire to glorify God is the very foundation of our righteousness. Our righteousness that Jesus calls us to is a righteousness that above all desires for God to be glorified through our lives and in this world. We need to tie this back to Matthew 5 and verse 48 where Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what that means is that that to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect is that we desire for God to be glorified on the earth the way that God desires for Himself to be glorified on the earth. And we need to tie this back to Matthew 5 and verse 20. This is the nature of the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. It's a righteousness that wants God to be glorified. And we can tie this back to Matthew 5 and verse 16 in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so we are praying that God would so work through us that He would be glorified by the people around us. And we could tie it back to the Beatitudes. That if your heart's desire before our all else would be that God would be glorified, then you are blessed. Because it shows once again that God has changed you by His grace and great will be your reward in heaven because you will see the glory of this God that you have longed for for your entire life. And so we are to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Let's pray. Father, we come before You and we thank You for this teaching that You have given us through Jesus Christ. You are our Father. You are God in Heaven, Sovereign Lord of all, and You can answer even a prayer like this, that Your name would be hallowed on earth as it is in Heaven. We know ultimately that will happen when Your kingdom comes and when Your will is done on earth. But even now we pray, Father, that You would glorify Yourself. 
We pray that especially through the, the believers in, in the world that you would be hallowed through us. We pray that you'd be hallowed through your church, not only this church, but also all true churches in the world. We pray you'd be hallowed through the salvation of sinners that you would reach people and turn them and open their eyes to your glory and your greatness so that they too can turn from their sin and turn from their suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and turn to come and know you and worship you. And so, Father, we pray that you would get the glory that you are worthy of in all of these ways. We pray that your name would be hallowed. Even as we sing now, we pray that your name would be hallowed in all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.